25% of the population is genetically born this way. 75% of the population is fine. Yeah, they can go into a moldy building, won't have any problems. They can get exposed to different things, won't have any problems. If they're, for the 25%, however, if the on switch was broken, they wouldn't be here. Their ancestors would have died out a long time ago. So the immune system turns on okay, but it doesn't turn off. Welcome to the Holistic Nutrition Hub podcast. Today I have Dr. Owen Brink here to talk to us today about chronic illness, uh, more specifically fibromyalgia and Lyme disease. Um, however, we're going to let him just give us a short history of his professional background. Okay. Um, I finished medical school in 1985. I was in the charter class of an osteopathic medical school, the first one that started in Florida. Um, I have an interesting theory on children and medical schools. The firstborn always gets the most discipline and the fewest freedoms, and it's sort of translated into medical school as well. Uh, I was the firstborn child, and uh, boy, they uh, gave us a rough run, but I got a very good education uh, and learned how to handle a lot. They shuffled a lot on us. Uh, subsequent classes, they weeded it down quite a bit. But um, I've always had uh, an interest in learning, um, being able to get into this field of complex chronic illness means that the learning will never stop. It's a constantly evolving uh, arena, so to speak. Um, also, I'm a member of the International Society of Environmentally Acquired Illnesses, uh, pronounced ICI. Uh, it's ICISEAI.org. Uh, I'm also their vice chairman of the research committee. So what I'm trying to do is I tell patients that we are building this airplane as we fly it. There's so much that we don't yet know about this illness or constellation of illnesses. And it turns out they're all very much interrelated. Uh, the basic uh, issue at hand with these illnesses uh, you can think of it as an immune system with a faulty off switch. 25% of the population is genetically born this way. 75% of the population is fine. Yeah, they can go into a moldy building, won't have any problems. They can get exposed to different things, won't have any problems. If they're, for the 25%, however, if the on switch was broken, they wouldn't be here. Their ancestors would have died out a long time ago. So the immune system turns on okay, but it doesn't turn off. And the actual problem has to do with macrophage presentation of antigen to the T lymphocytes. So what ends up happening is the system gets turned on by anything that causes what we call a pro-inflammatory cytokine storm. Cytokines are like hormones, but whereas a hormone works all over the body, a cytokine works in a three-dimensional microscopic neighborhood. You've got pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory. This is how cells communicate with each other. So when the immune system gets turned on by whatever inflammogen, something gen means starts up the process of inflam inflammation. So when you get the immune system going, it doesn't shut off properly. It just kind of keeps smoldering along and you develop what we call chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS. So 
one of the things that I've been able to establish in my practice so far is, let's say for the sake of argument, here's the normal person, okay? Mm-hmm. They get exposed to something, nothing happens. The 25% person, the, the, the one that should have picked better parents because he got these bad genes, the first uh, step in the process, you get SIRS, chronic inflammatory response syndrome. It can continue on to mast cell activation syndrome, from there, multiple chemical sensitivity, then all the way over to EMF sensitivity. So as this constellation of things evolves, we do a lot of very esoteric lab work and we start correcting each abnormality. You know, instead of like a shotgun blast, we pick it off more like a sniper. We you know, correct these things one at a time. And as we do this, we can get folks back on an even keel and you get their immune system functioning the way it's supposed to. The good news is we all have DNA, the blueprint for a healthy running body, and we want to get back to normal as soon as we can, but sometimes these folks need some help. Right, and you say these 25% of people, what differentiates between the 25 and the 75%? The actual genetic problem has to do with the chromosome 6, the human leukocyte antigen, HLA. Uh, HLA is, uh, think of it as a marker that we carry on all of our cells that identifies you as Lynn and me as Dr. O. Okay, right. so our immune system, we've got uh, two forms of immune system, basically, innate and adaptive. Uh, This is part of our innate immune system of self versus non-self. So for instance, if somebody has a blood transfusion, you want to make sure you get the ABO uh, antigens and antibodies correct, and also the RH. There are numerous other, you know, Lewis and a few other different things that are involved uh, that are not as big a problem in terms of transfusion reactions. If you're looking at tissue transplantation biology, such as heart transplants, that sort of thing. There's other antigens that they also want to do. There's a whole panel of things they look to cross-match as close as possible to, to match a donor and a recipient. But the HLA is, is the, like the basic, I'm me, you're you. It's, it's a self-identification thing. Right. And the people that have this, you know, there's a few haplotypes. A haplotype is essentially an expression of a genetic um, gene, basically, for want of a better way of describing it. Uh, and we could actually do blood testing and look at their HLA haplotype. Uh, initially, it was thought that we could identify who is most susceptible to various triggers. For instance, one person might be more susceptible to Borrelia, the causative uh, organism behind Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. Another person might be more sensitive to mold and mycotoxins, okay? There's some question right now on how well that actually matches out. Uh, Richie Shoemaker is the gentleman that first came up with this. He is a family physician such as myself, or actually not such as myself. The guy is brilliant. Uh, He started out in a rural practice in Pocomoke, Maryland, and this guy all by himself was able to elucidate all the different things that go wrong and come up with ways to correct each one of those things. Brilliant guy. Right. Um, so anyway, I've, I've been you know, recognized by him as having uh, 
confidence excellence or whatever you would call it, running the Shoemaker Protocol, which is rightly named since he developed it. Uh, he said too in one of his uh, presentations that, you know, once you understand this type of biology, you will never look at medicine again. I haven't. He's absolutely right. Um, so many physicians are really beholden to the pharmaceutical industry. Mm-hmm. You know, the integrative physicians, integrative means, of course, blending complementary and alternative medicine, CAM, with traditional medicine. Uh, integrative physicians, I think, are probably a few decades ahead of their time. Right. Um, uh, Rashid Buttar is the fir- first person that I uh, heard that description from. He is also uh, shares an alma mater with me uh, from Southeastern. And uh, he's a brilliant guy. He's got a very heavy web presence as well. But um, it's just a really fascinating thing to be able to sit here where we are right now, building this airplane as we're flying it, you know, trying different things to try to help our patients and having some success. Um, The bad news is occasionally patients leave because they're all better. So there is hope for this disease. Yeah, There really is hope for people to suffer from it. Right, right. So I just want to back up just a few steps just to see, you know, so people with the HLA genetic predisposition get exposed to something such as Lyme disease or the bacteria that causes Lyme disease or mycotoxins such as mold in a house or something like that. And this triggers the immune system and it stays on instead. And that progresses into these other um, conditions, which is where we see the EMF um, issues or um, uh, autoimmunity. Yeah, exactly. And autoimmunity. Okay. So your belief then is that this is what is the trigger is the genetic predisposition and then something is triggering it. So in the environment. As G, uh, Shoemaker said, uh, genes load the gun, exposure pulls the trigger. Mm-hmm. And exposure basically is anything that causes the pro-inflammatory cytokine storm. Right. And that could be anything from a vaccine can do it, uh, a disease can do it, any episode of say, severe sepsis if you're in the intensive care unit, even being on heart-lung bypass or open-heart surgery can do it. Right. So there's a huge range of triggers that can start the ball rolling. And it goes downhill like a snowball. It just keeps getting bigger. Yeah, so it just progressively gets worse, which is why with fibromyalgia, I, I don't have Lyme disease, but I've worked with clients myself who've had Lyme disease. Um, and is this why we also see, I'm going to just ask this question because it popped into my head, why we see often people with fibromyalgia as well as Lyme disease. So would their Lyme disease have turned into fibromyalgia or something along those lines? Fibromyalgia is actually a wastebasket term. Yes. Um, there are so-called diagnostic criteria for it, but the basic problem, like I said earlier, is that the immune system trips up. It doesn't shut off. Uh, think of the immune system like the Department of Defense, mm-hmm. okay? We have the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marine Corps, you know, the Space Force, the Coast Guard. We've got all these different divisions within the DOD. Our immune system is set up very similarly. Okay, one of the things that happens is it triggers the cascade. I'm sorry, the compliment cascade. Uh, compliment is not like, gee, you look nice today, but compliment is uh, it adds to uh, what's going on. And when the cap- compliment cascade gets set off, 
you can think of dumping a bushel of hand grenades in the room. Right. You know, there's going to be a lot of carnage, but there's also going to be a lot of drywall damage. Studs are going to be knocked out, lighting, plumbing, everything in that room is going to be destroyed and need to be rebuilt. This is a multi-system, multi-symptom illness. So Shoemaker came up with a group of um, 13 clusters, as he called them. Mm-hmm. And if you're older than 11 years old, you need to have eight or more clusters. Younger than 11 years old, uh, six clusters, positive for you know, one of his ways of defining this illness. Um, but, you know, these, these clusters, these symptoms are so bizarre. You know, the average physician, if you come in and you describe these are the different things wrong with me, uh, my symptoms, they're going to look at you like you're just crazy. They can't make any sense of it. Yeah, for sure. But Shoemaker was able to sit down and make sense of it. Right. And then he was able to elucidate all the different things that were going wrong that led to those symptoms. Like I said, a brilliant guy. Right. And um, so SIRS, is that just the general term that you use to describe this condition? Correct, yes. And as far as, you know, the condition, just to kind of give you an idea, we've all heard of multiple sclerosis, mm-hmm. okay, where you get uh, demyelinating plaques going on in the brain, okay? A lot of cases of MS, turns out, are SIRS-related, right. okay? So SIRS will cause inflammation, and again, depending on what room the, the you know, basket of hand grenades gets dropped on or what organ it gets dropped off in and how badly and how many hand grenades were in the basket in which room, you know, an inflamed liver doesn't work well. We call that HEPA for liver, tightness, inflammation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you expect to see the belly ribbon rise, the skin to get yellow, you know, all kinds of stigmata of liver disease will happen because it's inflamed. It's not working right. Uh, Mary Ackerley is an integrative psychiatrist. She's also currently the president of ICI. She wrote a book, Brain on Fire, and as an integrative psychiatrist, she's looking at brain inflammation, and you know, basically every mental illness out there in the face of an inflamed brain, it either resolves or improves significantly when you take away the inflammation. Right. So bipolar, depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. panic disorder, insomnia, all these different things with an inflamed brain will improve when you get the inflammation under control. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we do is very cool. It's called a neuroquant brain analysis, and it's a non-contrast MRI. No gadolinium, gadolinium to worry about as far as causing a, a contrast agent sensitivity. But you get an MRI and you run it through this algorithm developed by Cortec Labs called a neuroquant, and we do a neuroquant morphometry and triage brain atrophy report. Neuroquant looks at very precise three-dimensional measurements of various subsections of the brain, things like the nucleus accumbens, the hippocampus, the amygdala, all these different areas of the brain. And you can predict based on what is going on in the brain in these areas. Some of these areas will swell up with inflammation. Some of them will shrivel up become ischemic. And if it's not in the Goldilocks zone, you know, just right, it's not going to work well. Right. So we use a bell-shaped curve. 
okay, and it, it, for the listeners who are not familiar with this, if you look at the average height of somebody, okay, on the one hand, you've got a very few people that are very short, like the Munchkins and you know, the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> on the other end of the curve, you've got the you know, National Basket, uh, Basketball League, whatever, you know, the really tall guys, okay? But most of us are going to fall somewhere in the middle, and that will be a bell-shaped curve. And most people will be in the middle and be the highest. If you look at one standard deviation to the left going to the short side and two standard deviations, you can divide that curve into standard deviations and get a better handle on where people are at. We do the same thing with these brain organelle sizes, and that will give us an idea of where things are at. Cortec has developed a uh, gender and age-based uh, database of thousands of people based on age and gender, and then they normalize it based on the intracranial volume. You know, you're a woman. You're probably a little bit smaller than I am. I'm six foot two. Okay, so my brain size is going to be a little larger than your brain size. No sexist jokes here or anything. It's just a matter of their cranial capacity. Okay, so to standardize that, they use percent intracranial volume, and these measurements are down to 0.1 millimeter. Okay, so they're really very, very precise volumetric measurements. And by looking at the score, you can get a really good handle on what's going on. And I can share this information with you if you would like to, you know, show it to your readers, your listeners, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's really very interesting. Yeah. Uh, so it takes the measurements of the brain and then assesses it based on that bell curve. So like if, uh, say for me, somebody with fibromyalgia compared to other females based on my size, is that what uh -huh. you're doing then? Exactly. Yeah. So if you take a fibromyalgia patient, which I really prefer to think of as a SERS patient, Right. Okay. They're going to have changes in their brain that are often reproducible that other service patients will also have. Certain areas of the brain swell up, certain areas of the brain shrink down. Okay. And that'll give us a better handle on what's going on with them. And it's really kind of interesting when I'm talking to patients for the initial visit, I can start telling them what you know, other symptoms you're going to have. And when you walked into this particular building, I bet this happened. And mm. you know, the average patient of mine has seen a dozen or more doctors. They've Half of those doctors have said, you know, you're, you need to go see a shrink to help you deal with the stress yeah. or it's all in your head. Well, the neuroquant shows that indeed it is in your head, but certainly it is not all in your head. <laughs> not the way that they're talking system. about. <laughs> yeah. And patients, you know, I keep you know, boxes of tissue next to the chairs that they're going to be sitting in because very commonly folks will start to tear up. You know, finally, there's a doctor that I don't have to, you know, stop making excuses for that he gets it. Yeah. And the reason he gets it, my, my wife Cheryl and I both have this illness. Right. She got sick first. We found out about Shoemaker. You know, we were able to get better. I'm not well yet, but I'm better than I was. Right. Uh, the mold was my first trigger. But I also had gotten Lyme disease. I got Rocky Mountain spotted fever years ago, treated that successfully. But, you know, don't forget that tick bites can have more than one illness in them. And we treated the Rocky Mountain spotted fever okay, but the Lyme slipped by. Right. And it just kept building and building and building. And now I'm getting better finally from that. Right. And then you had mold exposure prior to that as well. And we look at the term total toxic burden. Okay, the immune system might be able to handle one or the other, but when you start adding multiples of things, 
And then also, let's talk about for a moment, you know, GMO, genetically modified organisms. You know, at first glance, genetically modified. Oh, you mean like Superman? Gee, that's, you know, what could be bad about that? Well, genetically modified means it's you know designed to tolerate glyphosate, the active ingredient in Roundup, yeah. and it's easier and cheaper to spray crops with glyphosate using resistant crops, but those pesticides still come in on the food and they have profound disturbances to the gut microbiome. They contribute to leaky gut, gut inflammation, and all kinds of immune dysregulation as well. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's hard. I I used to teach eco-nutrition uh, to the nutritionists up in Canada, and that's it's hard for me to sit there and go, oh, well, glyphosate is totally fine, but it's meant to kill bugs. Like, that's what it's meant to do. So the idea that we're just immune to this bug killer <laughs> blows my we're mind not. that people don't no. catch on to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and unfortunately, it's not an immediate quick you know, reaction that, you know, there you go, you're dead now. Yeah. You know, um, I was listening to a podcast last night and the speaker was talking about, you know, things go wrong slowly until they don't. Right. And it's sort of like, you know, what was the final straw that broke the camel's back? You know, it was not one straw that broke that camel's back. You know, over a period of time, we kept adding insult and injury to the systems that make up our bodies. And that, you know, the way we're designed as a physician blows my mind. You know, I, think about that I can't a lot. wait to get up to heaven someday and talk to the creator and say, how did you do that? Yeah. You know, but um, wow, you know, all the redundancies that we have built in, but eventually all those redundancies can become compromised. Right. And all of a sudden there's a sudden adverse outcome, a stroke, a heart attack, you know, or slowly evolving illness like fibro, SIRS, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome. Right. So what's your take then on, you know, doctors or physicians who say things such as, Oh, our bodies are are well made. Well, because we they are well made, but they're well made and so well made that they can handle any kind of toxic, um, you know, impression or anything like that. You know, there's the the ones who are like, oh well, don't worry about pesticides because your body can filter them out. <clears throat> uh, you know, it's a really a terrible indictment. Um, people look at things in two basic ways. Some folks look at what they don't understand with curiosity. And unfortunately, a lot of practitioners look instead with arrogance. I'm a doctor. I don't know that. If I don't know that, it's not important. Mm. You'll never learn anything with a closed mind. You know, you need to keep an open mind. Not so open that your brain falls out, but, <laughs> you know, there's a happy medium in there at some point. And you, you know, critical thinking. I love there's a bumper sticker going around. You know, critical thinking, America's other great deficit. <laughs> Worldwide. Yeah. You know? And you know, you need to be able to look at things and analyze. And for all the good that the pharmaceuticals have done, they are not always the answer. Right. So yeah, I love the old phrase too, it's not nice to fool Mother Nature. You know. Treating Lyme disease, I found that I get much more significant herxine when I'm using natural botanical products, herbal products, than when I'm using pharmaceuticals. Right. And I think the reason for that is, you know, 
I'm not the best. Humanity in general is not the best scientist, clinician, or whatever. Perhaps Mother Nature is better than we are at this stuff. Well, it's been a long, it's been around a lot longer than we have. So that's something that I've been kind of tapping into a little bit more to it. It's very, it's very smart. <laughs> yeah, Much more arrogance and humility, you know? Yeah, for sure. So I wanted to ask you then, you touched a little bit on like pesticides and GMOs, but um, what do you think the role of nutrition is in SIRS? Uh, obviously, you want to have as much good stuff going in to try to rebalance the system. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many things involved with nutrition. Uh, this podcast I was listening to last night was talking about the importance of copper in the diet. And uh, it was a doctor in England in the 1930s. He wasn't a physician. He was actually a biochemist who had a hobby as a dairy farmer. Hmm. And he was very interesting. What he did was he tracked that he was in an area where a lot of his customers developed cancer. So being the good biochemist that he was, he was a brilliant biochemist as well. He did some analysis and found out that his soil had a low copper you know, content. So as he was having his cattle graze on this ground and eat the grass, the grass didn't have enough copper, the milk didn't have enough copper, the patients weren't getting enough copper. Copper and zinc running in inverse relationship, high zinc, low copper, and vice versa. Okay, and copper is very important because among other things, it regulates iron metabolism. Hmm. So he was ended up seeing a lot of cancer in his patients that he surmised it all traced back to the nutrients in the soil. Right. That's what I like to see. That's pretty yep. elegant. Yep, me too. Okay. So anyway, there, there's a lot to be done with that. And as an integrated physician, you know, among the things that we do is, you know, the gut is the best way to absorb nutrients. Mm -hmm. You know, the way Mother Nature, God, call them what you want, designed us. Sometimes we need help. You know, there's a thing called a, Myers cocktail. I'm sure you've heard of it, and I imagine many of your audience have as well. But Myers cocktails uh, were designed initially by Edward Myers. High doses, much higher than the immune, than the GI system can absorb, uh, and these things go right into your circulation. They get right to the root of the matter. Your mitochondria, where the cellular respiration is taking place, ATP is being manufactured. You know, when you're getting a drip with these things, it's very common that you'll smell and taste vitamins. And it's just because your venous system is backwashing with such high concentrations. And it's not uncommon the following day to just feel like somebody gave you a turbocharger. You've just got all kinds of energy, but it's not like scatterbrained and everything else. You've got to focus, you can concentrate, you can work, you can, you know, it's wonderful what these things can do. But you're also giving trace mineral elements. You're giving copper, you're giving chromium, zinc, manganese, selenium, you know, a lot of good antioxidants and, and things that our bodies need that we may not be getting enough of in this highly processed food, you know, environment that we're dealing with. Right, exactly. And so can you explain to us then your basic treatment plan um, then basically for somebody with SIRS um, moving forward? Yes. Uh, the very first thing I do is I've got a, a very, very extensive medical history. Uh, on my website, I've got links to some forms that I ask the patients to complete before their initial appointment. 
that goes over a very extensive review of systems history, a lot of detail, a lot of background. Then I spend, my initial appointment is four hours, okay? And initially we did that all at once and people were walking out of the office in shock and glassy eyed. They just couldn't handle the information overload. It's like trying to drink from a 50 gallon a minute fire hose. So we broke it into two two hour back-to-back -back appointments and we try to do both of them in the same week. Um, yeah, the first day we try to get whatever diagnostic testing is necessary. For instance, Lyme disease. Uh, I want to do an EKG and see if there's any evidence of Lyme carditis. Uh, it's very common to see patients with breathing problems. Uh, shortness of breath initially with exertion, later with rest. There are three main organ failures, organelle failures that will cause shortness of breath. Lungs, asthma, emphysema, things of that nature. Heart, congestive heart failure will certainly cause shortness of breath. But the other one that's often ignored is mitochondria. Okay, these are the power plants within the cell. And when the cell gets into what's called a cell danger response, those little power plants inside of each cell actually turn into battleships, okay? And they don't do oxidative phosphorylation. So instead of consuming carbohydrates or fats with oxygen and producing carbon dioxide and water, aerobic respiration, they're doing anaerobic respiration. There could be plenty of oxygen in the bloodstream, but the mitochondria are not using that. Right. Instead of producing 100% of ATP, they're producing about a third of that. That's why people have this chronic fatigue so bad. Okay. Right. And instead of producing CO2 and water, they're producing pyruvic and lactic acid. So the pyruvic and lactic acid can be converted back into glucose, which requires oxygen, and stored as glycogen. But gee, we don't produce oxygen. We're not dealing with oxygen properly to begin with. So whereas a normal person, you know, if you go out and you know, run five miles, okay, you're, you're a little tired for a bit, and then you're back on your feet ready to roll. For somebody like us, sorting the laundry is an aerobic event. Right. You know, you're exhausted afterwards, and you may need to lay down for a while. You know, a trip to the grocery store, it's what we call the push crash. Okay, <laughs> so I need to do a study to find out where's the problem for these people with shortness of breath. Mm -hmm. So I do extensive breathing testing on them, spirometry, okay, and I gather their oxygen uh, levels at each step of the way with a pulse oximeter. It's not uncommon for them to have oxygen desaturation during the course of their, you know, uh, testing protocol. And if they have that, that's a pretty good indication that there are further problems that need to be looked at. There's a disease called pulmonary hypertension. Pulmonary means lungs, hypertension, high blood pressure. So I actually had that disease. I was diagnosed in 2014. Uh, pulmonary hypertension has a five-year life expectancy. Wow. And it's a one-way ride to the cemetery. There's really no good cure for it unless it's secondary pulmonary hypertension, secondary to another problem, which SIRS is. Right. So by taking vasoactive intestinal peptide, uh, which is a non-prescription, essentially supplement used intranasally, I was able to reverse my pulmonary hypertension. I called the cardiologist five years later to, to go back and have the reevaluation done. 
And the first time I did the test, normal is less than 30. I had a level of 54, and that's not good, almost twice normal. So when I called him five years later, and he hadn't heard from me or seen me or anything, he was kind of surprised I was still alive. I went in, I did the stress echo, and it had resolved. My pressure was 28. It had been cut in half. He'd never seen that happen. He was, like, just amazed. Hmm. So, you know, since I've got an illness that can potentially kill people within five years, I test for it. All right. Uh, we do stress echocardiograms on our patients. I've got a recum bike so that, you know, these people that have enough arthritis, joint inflammation, and muscle inflammation, they can't walk very well. They certainly could not do a treadmill stress test properly. Mm -hmm. Okay. For these folks, put them on a bicycle, let them pedal. Right. I do a further test for people that want to have it done. Also, I spent about three years corresponding with Social Security Disability Income in the United States. And if folks are unable to maintain an activity level of five metabolic equivalents or METs, that's five times the amount of oxygen that you're normally using per cc of oxygen, cc's of oxygen per kilogram of body weight per minute. And one med is 1.5, I'm sorry, 3.5, excuse me. Uh, so if you're not able to, to get up to and maintain 17.5 or 5 mets, something's wrong with you. Well, that will happen in congestive heart failure. Right. SSDI said, yeah, if you've got CHF and you can't do 5 mets, you're disabled. It will pay you, you know, for disability. Right. So I wanted to get it in writing that, okay, well, what if you've got not heart failure, but another cause that has you unable to, to you know, produce and perform at above 5 mets consistently? They said, yeah, finally they agreed that, yeah, that would be grounds for disability. So I could actually do that testing now. Right. The patient needs to start with an attorney uh, because this is not the sort of thing that the Social Security will you know, easily grant disability status, but now at least I can give them ironclad evidence and their own documentation that says, yes, this is grounds, and that this is all the patient can perform, and we've documented it. Now all of a sudden these people who have been unable to work for years, have not had a regular income. Most of us, the biggest investment in our life is our home. Now my home needs to have tens of thousands of dollars of remediation because of mold. God, that's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no wonder these people are depressed and hopeless. So at least now we can get these folks on disability where they'll have some kind of an income, they'll have access to medical care, you know, they'll be able to get the care that they need so that they can get better. And again, this is a reversible illness. Right. So that's one of the things that we're trying to do for these folks. Yeah, it's amazing. Honestly, just to, I mean, you know it because you work with people like us all the time, but it's amazing to have a doctor who actually wants to help, first of all, and knows the condition very well, I mean, personally, and, uh, you know, has taken that extra step to help people understand it and actually find a way of proving that something is wrong with us physically yeah. and not just mentally in our head because i think that is being told continuously that there's something wrong with you in your brain and having no way of proving it because the blood tests don't come back with anything or um you know and then not to mention like the stress of what it takes you know, if you're married and on a partner and on your children, and I mean, it cascades down, uh, obviously. Um, <clears throat> 
So part of your treatment plan, obviously, then is to recommend remediation of the house for, for mold. Um, you know, if, if that's not possible, do you usually recommend that they move? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned, too, that people don't believe I'm sick. You know, number one, blood tests are normal. Yes. If you do the wrong blood tests, you're not going to find the right results. Mm. So these folks have a normal SED rate, a normal HSCRP, normal white blood cell count. You know, these are, they don't have a fever. These are the things that you know, physicians are trained to look at. These are you know, classic markers for inflammation. They're normal. Right. However, if you look at the C4A, which goes up with biotoxin exposure, transforming growth factor beta-1, matrix metalloproteinase 9, you have vascular endothelial growth factor, basoactive intestinal peptide levels, leptin. Uh, a lot of these folks are obese. Yeah. And the, the problem with they're obese is because their leptin is all screwed up. They've got very high leptin, right. leptin resistance, and they end up, they're hungry all the time. They're, they're unable to exercise. Their satiety centers are not working properly. If you put them on a low amylose diet, you put them on some pioglitazone, uh, that corrects the problem, and all of a sudden, then they can start losing weight. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just, God, it's so amazing the way it all ties together. Divorce. Yeah. There's an epidemic of divorce with this illness. It's very unusual to find a supportive spouse in all this because, you know, gee, the patient's been to a dozen different doctors. Everybody says, you don't look sick, and you don't. Your lab work is normal. Well, yeah, if you don't do the right lab work, it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But if you do correct lab work, all of a sudden, things aren't so normal. Right. Um, very briefly, there's a test called a visual contrast sensitivity, VCS test. And there's a website where you can do this online, vcstest.com, uh, developed by the United States Air Force. Okay. Earlier, I mentioned that mitochondrial problems come into the bear here. And the VCS test takes advantage of that. Okay. And the retina, that's the film in the back of the camera that is the eyeball. The retina has two types of cells. Rods look at black and white. Cones look at color. Okay. The VCS test is a series of parallel lines that are either straight up and down, they're slanted to the left, or they're slanted to the right. And they're in very, very subtle distinctions of shades of gray. If you can't perceive which way those lines are going, straight, left, or right, then what ends up happening is that's a evidence that the mitochondria are not working right. Mm. Okay? So you really need to do it on a computer or a tablet if it's done on a cell phone. But folks who do this test, if it's abnormal in bands C and D, okay, that's a very good indication that the mitochondria are not working right. Now, the test can have a false negative where you do have SIRS, but you actually do manage to pass the test, but it is still a pretty accurate test. And then on my website, I've also got a free screening test for SIRS that has to do with questionnaires, uh, looking at the clusters developed by Dr. Shoemaker and a few other things that give us an idea of where you're at in terms of SIRS and also mast cell activation. And then I've also got a free questionnaire for Lyme disease based on the work of Richard Horowitz, who mm -hmm. practices up in the Hudson Valley and developed a, a questionnaire that has been uh, through the peer review process for scientific journals 
and shown to have you know a valid uh, to be a valid instrument for looking at your risk of having had Lyme disease or a tick-borne illness. Right. These are free on my website for people who are worried about this. Um, you know, once somebody does this, now all of a sudden, if you've got something abnormal, yeah, you know, the first step to getting better is knowing what the diagnosis is. Yeah, yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, do those kind of as a public service because so many people suffer when they really shouldn't have to with this illness. Right. Um, do you mind sharing? I didn't say this before we hopped on the recording, but would you mind sharing your favorite like recovery story? Do you have one? Uh, I've got several actually. Um, and basically the common denominator on all of these stories, the first step in the treatment pyramid is eliminate all exposure. Right. So, you know, I'm a family physician. I practiced in South Florida for almost three decades as a family doctor. And that was back in the, uh, what I'll call the good days of medicine, where you weren't either an outpatient specialist or a hospitalist. Yeah, I followed my patients in the hospital, in my office, in the nursing home, even the hospice. I even made house calls. Right. You know, I was one of those really old-fashioned kind of guys. I loved it. Okay, I really got to know my patients. I would take care of multiple generations of patients in one family. It was wonderful. You know, come Christmas times, the amount of calories that came into my office was amazing. Okay, <laughs> a lot of grateful patients. <laughs> yeah, all, all kinds of home-baked goodies and everything else, okay? But, you know, now I don't see as much of that because what happens is if you do what I tell you to do, and if you're able to do the things that I suggest to you and get first and foremost, eliminate the exposure, get, get the home taken care of, I'm not going to see you for that long. Yeah. You're going to you know, head on out the door. And that's a shame because I get attached to my patients. You know, it's my job to care for my patients, but call it a boundary violation. I also tend to care about my patients. Yeah. You know, and that's the fun of this. I love being a doctor. Yeah, so. I can imagine. I think I would prefer, you know, what you said before, where you get to do the hospital visits, the home oh, visits. It was, a gap. It mean, was so much fun. That's yeah. what a doctor is meant to be, in my opinion. Yeah. To know their patients and know when they're not, you know, feeling well. It's different when you walk into a doctor's office that you see maybe once every five years, and they see you for 10 minutes, and then they give you a prescription. I mean, are they really sure that you're not well? Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's assembly line medicine. And you cannot do integrative medicine on an assembly line. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing, too, I'll say that, you know, who, who is a patient does not know when a doctor really has the care and the concern and the compassion for them versus somebody who's just running numbers through the door? A hundred percent. You know, it comes across. Yeah. So I, 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 it's, it's such an honor for me to be able to do the thing that I get to do that I love so much. You know, it, there's no pretense. We drop all the, you know, whatever. Tell me what's going on. You know, and people drop their barriers. They tell me what's, you know, their greatest fears, their greatest hopes, their whatever. There's a form of intimacy with that. It's just so special. You know, you trust me. You may have never met me before. But you trust me enough to tell me your deepest, darkest fears, secrets, whatever, to let me help you. Yeah. That's, that's a huge, huge thing. Yeah, and amazing work, right? I mean, it's, I think, why healthcare 
usually healthcare professionals get into healthcare. I mean, for me as a, as a holistic nutritionist, it was exactly that reason, A, for my own health issues, and then also to help people because um, there's nothing worse than feeling like you're completely and utterly alone in this, especially in a condition like this where you've got a crap bag of 70 different symptoms and they all point to what you know to be an immune system issue, but there's no, no doctor who seems to agree with you somehow. Yeah. Yeah, because doctors are trained to look at organ systems and not the complexity of this thing and all the different organ systems and how, you know, and when Shoemaker came up with the idea of multi-system, multi-symptom, like I said, he's a smart man ahead of his time. Right. And how long ago did he come up with SIRS or the, the definition for SIRS? A decade ago. A decade ago, yeah. yeah. That's long before. Yeah. So, yeah. and. Um, yeah, the, the way that we treat it, I mean, some of the medicines we use, we use a lot of off-label things. Uh, cholestyramine is the biggest thing. Cholestyramine was a failed cholesterol-lowering medicine, mm. okay? And it works by binding bile acids in the gut, okay? It works five times better than any other binder out there, okay? And the way this works, the liver is arguably the largest organ in the immune system. It filters blood. Right. It takes these biotoxins, secretes them into the bile. If you have a gallbladder, the purpose of the gallbladder is to take water out of the bile. Okay. Bile is, by definition, it's a detergent. It emulsifies fats. So fatty nutrients, you know, like vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K, vitamin A, and others can be absorbed. Okay. Um, but then at the tail end of the small intestine, the ileum, it gets reabsorbed, sent back to the liver and recycled. Well, the bile acids get recycled, but so do the toxins. Right. So cholestyramine, three-dimensionally, it's like a, a ball and glove. It binds these toxins and takes them out in the stool. And that's probably the single most important medicine that we use to treat this illness. And people get better. Right. Start them on that. Now, the side effects are it's very constipating for most folks. Um, it doesn't taste real good. The way I tell folks to take it is you, know, you get a small glass jar, put water in it, put the medicine in it, shake it up real good, stick it in the refrigerator. It's kind of an orange flavor. It tastes a lot like, you know, Tang, the astronaut's drink. Right. I don't think you're quite old enough to remember that, but I'm an old gray beard. So I, I know, do. I know what Tang is. I didn't know there was relation to astronauts, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they used that. It was developed by NASA, the space program, actually. Interesting. Nobody knows that, I'm sure, other than you. Yeah, useless <laughs> trivia, you know, rattling around between my ears. <laughs> but um, you swallow the stuff. If you leave it in the water longer, it tends to hydrate better and not be as gritty. You can mix it up and slug it down right away, but it's got a gritty mouthfeel texture to it. Uh, it's better, more palatable if it's cold, and if it's been in the water longer, it can absorb. You can use juice otherwise, or applesauce, or ice cream, or whatever you need to to get it in. Um, but ideally you take it 30 minutes before meals at a bedtime, four doses a day. It finds these toxins. You want to keep the stool moving. Um, trivia question. You're a nutritionist, right? Yes. How do you make bricks? Oof. <laughs> Get constipated. 
<laughs> on the right track. Okay. <laughs> so to make a brick, you take a clay, water, you make mud, mix it with straw, put it in a mold, bake it in the sun to dehydrate it. Voila, you got a brick, right? Yeah. So would you consider your colon to be a social organ? Oof. To be a which organ? Social, social. organ. Uh, whew, I don't know, maybe. It depends on yeah. which way you're going for that. <laughs> a little weird, admittedly. Okay. I know um, you can go either way with this. I <laughs> Yeah, I've got you intrigued, don't I? My poor wife assures me I suffer from the delusion that I have a sense of humor. Okay. You definitely uh, do. <laughs> <laughs> the colon receives a slurry from the small intestine. The colon's main job is to remove water from that slurry to produce form stool. Yeah. So if it wasn't for your colon, you'd have a trail of slurry dropping down the back of your leg. <laughs> so yes, the colon is a social organ. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but if, you, if you're taking the cholestyramine, you're taking anything for that matter, and you're not drinking enough water, right. you're going to get more and more constipated. That's where I'm going with this. Okay. Right. There's a method to my madness. I know it's a little visual, not necessarily pleasant, but it makes the point. Yeah, so well, you've got to get enough water on board. Pardon yeah. me? I said holistic nutritionists honestly talk about feces and poop all the time. So you're right. Yeah. Like, you're good. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you, you look at this, you know, from the, that perspective, uh, and let's not even get going into the whole microbiome and, you know, the genetic testing that's now being done on the microbiome, which is so much better than, you know, the old stool analysis we used to have where you do some differential cultures and microscopy and try to get a handle on what's going on with somebody's microbiome. Yeah, there are more species of bacteria in your gut than there are cells in your body. Yeah. Okay. And if you try to culture these things, some of them are very hard to culture. So you get a culture that comes back, no growth. Well, that does not mean sterile. That just means we were not able to grow anything. Mm. You know, so you've got to have all the right parameters set to be able to grow anything. Well, now there's a test called nucleic acid amplification where you can actually take a little bit of stool, house dust, all sorts of different things, do this procedure and end up telling you what species are or have been present hmm. in your gut, in your home or wherever. And you can do it quantitatively. So you get an idea of how much of each of these things have been going on there. Right. I mean, this sounds like old, you know, the old um, Twilight Zone episodes, you know, Rod Serling. Imagine if you will, <laughs> you know, <laughs> But we've we've come to that now. It's it just it's mind-boggling to me, right. and of course it makes it a lot of fun to practice medicine because I'm literally standing on the shoulders of giants getting to do what I do. Right, exactly. So if somebody were to say, um, let's speak theoretically, if somebody was to move into a home that didn't have mold, they have fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome or whatever, they move into a home that doesn't have mold they do some kind of toxin binding. I mean, there's other ways of toxin binding too, right? Which we can talk about. That's not like, I don't know if how you feel about um, like bentonite clay or something like that. Um, they take, you know, Myers cocktails and they clean up their, their food. Um, would you reckon that over time somebody's body would become more balanced or do you think that, you know, to really be effective, you have to use the treatment that you're talking about. Excellent question. Thank you for that. 
Um, I have a picture in one of the pamphlets that I've created, <clears throat> and it's worthy of a Stephen King novel. Okay. Mm. Somebody tore open a piece of drywall. And if you look carefully at the edges of where the tear was, you don't see anything there. Nothing wrong with it. Right. Inside, it's all black, and it turned out it was stachybotrys that was growing. Okay. Stachybotrys produces trichotocenes, a toxin that was weaponized by the U.S. Department of Defense. Hmm. This is some dangerous stuff. Okay. If you wet it, it will grow. Okay. Mold spores are ubiquitous. They're all over the place. So obviously you don't want to get these things wet. Well, what is wet? As little as 50% humidity in the air will allow some of these things to grow. Right. So the story that you're giving with your, you know, supposed case example, uh, I will tell you about a patient who went through, count them, three homes. Mm. Okay. And uh, I don't know that they're married anymore or not because I haven't seen this person in a couple of years. But basically, nobody believed her. She was sick. She also had a history of bipolar disorder. Uh, her husband was trying to be supportive, but, you know, it was really kind of getting on his nerves, too. So the house was moldy. They did a, a Swiffer test, okay, uh, environmental relative moldiness index. It's one of these DNA amplification tests I referred to that looks at 26 different species of mold. And sure enough, it was a very bad moldy house. Mm -hmm. And I told them very carefully and specifically, do not buy another house until you test it before you buy it. Right. Well, he didn't listen. He went and bought another house. Yep, it was moldy. So after he bitched and moaned and groaned about it for long enough, you know, I was like, hey, I told you. So they bought a third house. And this time he had learned his lesson. He tested it first. It tested fine. They moved into the house. Three days later, their furniture came up. Until then, they were sleeping in an inflatable air mattress. So they put all their furniture in. They got settled in and everything else. And she crashed and burned again. Right. Okay. Cross-contamination happens, okay? And it took months for them to find it, but on the bottom of one of their dresser drawers, there was a layer of mold, toxic mold, okay? She was bedridden. Yeah. Well, the dresser was in her bedroom, all right? Right. Man, yeah, and it was just, it, it took such detective work to find it and then once they found it, then they had to go through all kinds of cleaning, this, that, and everything else. Well, of course, the spores had gotten into the AC duct work into the system, and, you know, the remediation was not done properly. You know, finding somebody that really understands and knows how to do remediation. Uh, I've got a group that are a little bit south of me. They are worth their weight in gold. Right. Okay. Uh, they do not charge for an inspection. They charge for the remediation. Now, there's an ethical thing there. Well, you know, how do you know they're going to be, you know, these people are very honest. I, I know them well. They've worked for me. The the mom and the three little girls are all patients here. Dad does not have the gene. Okay, he's been tested. Um, I've got patients who are what I call the canary in the cold mine. They could walk on the sidewalk in front of a moldy building and know that it's a moldy building. They're that sensitive to it. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Well, she's a canary. 
she could walk into a building. It's like, yep, it's here. Uh, they also make dogs, you know, they make dogs. They train dogs. <laughs> and, um, yes, genetically we craft this yeah, dog. Yeah, just crafting this um, dog in our backyard. <laughs> there yet. Okay. Well, CRISPR, CRISPR. I don't know if you've uh, watched that. Yeah, I'm very familiar with CRISPR. They, they may well be doing that in China, but... There's some American guys doing it in their backyard, and a guy is actually doing it with a bunch of dogs. There's a Netflix documentary on it. It's very interesting. Really? Yes. If you have Netflix, search. uh, I do. After the video, please uh, send me a link on that. I'd love to see it. I have to. Yeah, it's very interesting. Oh, wow. Scary. Anyway, um, (laughs) a very important concept I want your, your viewers to understand as well. The mold is not the problem. Mm. Okay, and people look at me kind of cross-eyed when I tell them that. And if you've ever been in a microbiology laboratory, like especially the university setting or something, you'll walk into a micro lab and you can smell, and you can just by the odor in the room, you can know pretty much what the professor has got growing if you're well trained enough and your snoot is. Okay, the Volatile, airborne, organic, carbon-based compounds, VOCs, it's mold breath or mold exhaust that is the problem, mm. okay? The mold, it's, it's energetically expensive to make these things, but if you're a little microbe and you land on a nice damp sheet of sheet, piece of sheet rock or paper or whatever, you know, paper is, after all, cellulose, glucose molecules all strung together, that's sugar, so you got a food source. You'll grow for many, many, many generations and be happy as long as nobody encroaches on your turf. Right. So they put out these micro, these toxins, penicillin. Okay, the antibiotic was isolated by Sir William Fleming from penicillium, a mold. Okay, it was discovered by accident. The lab upstairs above his lab was working on penicillium and he was trying to grow strep and his petri dishes kept getting screwed up. And there were zones of inhibition. And instead of looking at it like, what the hell's going on and throwing it away, he was curious and he isolated penicillin. Right. Okay. So it's the mold breath that's doing you in, not the mold. Mm-hmm. Okay. As little as 50% humidity is enough moisture. Right. All right. You don't have as accurate a nose as a dog or a grizzly bear. Okay. They can smell and tell you exactly what the problem is. But just because it is sub-perceptual, you cannot detect it, does not mean that it's not A, there, and B, there at a you know, quantity sufficient to harm you. Right. Okay. And what it does is it goes in your nose, it goes back to the olfactory bulb, which is a part of your brain, and it's only separated from the outside world by the cribriform plate, which is a very thin bone with holes in it to allow you to smell things. And the blood-brain barrier, which is, you know, meninges, you know, membranes that surround and protect the brain. Okay? Mm-hmm. So these toxins can get direct access to the brain. They break down the blood-brain barrier, cause the brain inflammation. And once they get into the circulation, they cause all the other problems. So it's predominantly inhaled. Of course, it's going in your lungs as well. Yeah. That's how we're exposed to these things. Okay, so 50% is too much you know, humidity. How about a dehumidifier? That's a good idea, right? Yeah, it is. In fact, it, it, people, if you're looking to buy a new home, when you walk in and there's a dehumidifier in the basement, keep walking. 
Okay, dehumidifiers essentially are a marker for a problematic building. Right. Okay, something to think about. Okay. Um, another area that I'd like to look at real quickly too is what's the difference between an air filter and an air purifier? Well, the air filter will stop things, right? No. So it doesn't get it. <laughs> it doesn't stop anything. Okay. An air filter, a HEPA filter, removes 99.97% of items larger than 10 microns in diameter. Right. Okay. So red blood cell is 6 microns in diameter. That would pass through it okay. Okay. All right. The difference between a molecule and a particle is huge. Right. We're talking about the difference between a golf ball would be a molecule right. and the Super Bowl, you know, a huge football stadium would be a particle. Hmm. So you have a filter big enough to keep the Super Bowl from getting through. But, but no, there's plenty of golf balls flowing right around it that doesn't even slow them down. Right. So an air filter removes, an air purifier adds. Oh. An air purifier is generating ions generally negatively charged ions that bump into these golf balls, these molecules, and convert them. They break them down essentially to carbon dioxide and water. Hmm. So, so it's a lot of air, air purifier than an air filter. Purifiers. Say again? So it's better to have an air purifier. Correct. Air filter is really, an air filter will not help with this disease. You hmm. need to get an air purifier. Now, a lot of the purifiers also have a filter as part of the system, okay? So just because there's a filter, don't think, oh, I've got to replace this. Look into it, okay? An air purifier will, will typically have a photocatalytic unit to it, okay, that is where the actual magic is happening, okay? But we've got filters in our office, I'm sorry, purifiers in our home and office. They do help, right. okay? And if you're living in a moldy place, it'll help. Okay, with the dehumidifier, obviously the best thing though is to get rid of the source of the problem. Right. Cool. Okay. Well, go on. Anything else to add on that subject? <laughs> um, you know, Lynn, there's there's so much on this illness. Um, to be a good physician, you need to be a somewhat of a Renaissance man. Hmm. Yeah, that's what they this, you know, before we got into before I got into medical school, this is what medical schools were looking for. Yeah, I've been accused of being a closet engineer because I'm fascinated by engineering. I've, you know, uh, there's a lot of different areas that I have an interest in. And like as Shoemaker said, once you understand this, you'll never look at medicine the same way again. There's so many different fields that come into play here. Right. Uh, it's just, it's a great intellectual exercise. It's just a fascinating thing to be able to do. And then to be able to watch people get better while you do it, what a gas. It's a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, love it. I don't love having fibro or whatever, sirs. Yeah. I know that I have it based on your on your free uh, 
your free little assessment. Um, <laughs> my numbers were quite high, um, but I think you're right in saying that this has definitely driven me to look at so many different topics when it comes to the body, like movement, spirituality, uh, energetics, nature and its relation to us, herbal medicine. Um, man, the list goes on. Like you, you kind of have to dive into all of those things to even understand how to get better because there's so much at play, you know, exercise. We can't go, you know, I used to lift really heavy weights and I loved it and it was my favorite thing. And now I'm like climbing the stairs like I'm dying, <laughs> you know? You know, yeah. you know <clears throat> another area you mentioned spirituality. So I just wanted to take a quick detour there. Yeah. Um, I am not a preacher. I am not a priest. You know, I'm, but yeah, you know, again, as a Renaissance man, uh, I'm a Christian. Okay, in God's perfect economy, I don't believe in wasted suffering. You know, pain in life is mandatory. Suffering is optional. Yeah. Acceptance is the pathway to serenity. Okay. Yeah. So, with all of that being said, you know that does not make me a nihilist. Where well, you're just doomed to suffer, so I'm not going to do anything for you. No, 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 not at all. Quite the opposite, actually. If you can accept, you know, Christ died on the cross for us. He did not have to do that, but he chose to for the redemption of humanity. Mm -hmm. Well, that tells us that your suffering can be used to benefit another suffering soul that needs your help. Yeah. Okay, you offer it up, therefore. But my job is to try to do everything I can to end that whole cycle. Yeah, you know, but if you can accept what's going on to some degree, it's like, okay, yeah, there's a purpose for this. Maybe I don't understand it, but God's got a better handle on, you know, the long-term effect. You know, he can see the future for him. God, you know, time is not linear. Okay, we can only see off to the sides of what's going on right now and look back. You know, I liken it to being in a sport fishing boat that's out trolling in the ocean. You know, if you, uh, you know, buy a charter on a sport fishing boat, you can see where you've been. And you can see the one side to the other, what's going around, where the birds are, and that sort of thing. The captain is behind and above you. He's in the flying bridge. He's looking up ahead. He knows where the seaweed lines are, where the fish are, where the birds are, and where he's taking you while you're sitting there baking in the hot sun, sitting in the fighting chair, you know, waiting to get a fish on. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's a little bit of my background. And, you know, just I think it's a good way for people that are suffering to just realize that, there is a purpose here, yeah. but that doesn't mean, you know, accepting it can be helpful, but, you know, God helps them to help themselves as well. So try to find somebody who knows what's going on that is willing to help you. Yeah. Um, my website, the name of my practice is Appalachian Wellness, and the website is appwell.net, N-E-T. Uh, that's where you'll find the free screening you know, quizzes and whatnot. You know, there's a lot of educational information. My website is a labor of love. Yeah. I've even YouTube I, I, videos. You know that I, I fell upon it randomly after looking at Shoemaker stuff, and I reached out to you because I was like, oh, here's a guy who totally gets it, gets it first of all, and is willing to talk about it. Um, and, yeah, spirituality, I think um, I don't have I, – I grew up Christian, but definitely have – more, moved more towards psychology and Eastern uh, philosophy, mm -hmm. let's say. 
Um, but yeah, I think acceptance was one of the biggest shifts for me. Once I accepted the fact that this was something that I just had to learn how to, I don't want to say deal with, but learn how to manage and figure out how to live best with it. Everything kind of shifted from there. Um, so I think that is a big deal. And I think the acceptance aspect of any chronic illness is difficult. Um, yeah. But when you, when you have people on your team who actually know what they're talking about and have gone through it, I think it makes a huge, um, a huge difference. So I'm just going to ask you if there's any additional information that you want to put out there. You put your website. Um, you have an awesome YouTube channel, too, that people can go and check out as well. Um, is there anything else you'd like to close with? Well, if you have insomnia, the YouTube channel will take care of that. <laughs> Good night. Very information dense. Spelled B-O-R-I-N-G, information dense. Uh, but there's a lot of information there, as there is on the website. Uh, I've seen patients from as far away as Serbia to California, Canada, Mexico. Yeah, I've got a pretty big catchment area. Uh, I realize that not everybody can get here. So for that reason... I have so much information on my website. I've got a library. Uh, I keep a blog going. Uh, I've been a little bit delinquent in that because I'm working on developing our services a little bit further right now. You know, for for your listeners that are having problems, I'm, I'm certainly accepting patients. But if you can't get here, you know, get a list of the different labs that are done. Bring them to your local doctor. You know, if you can get those labs done, even if your doctor's not able to interpret them, and what you can do about it. The first step in treatment is eliminating exposure. I can get you well, but not better if that step is not doing, yeah, better but not well if that step is not done. Um, once you do that, then you can really start making progress. Um, you know, my hat is off to Shoemaker. He's done a tremendous service, uh, ICI.org. ISEAI.org is another place. They also have a directory of where you can find physicians and other practitioners who are you know, knowledgeable in this illness. Uh, and it is truly an international. We've got uh, practitioners in Europe, Australia, pretty much around the world. Um, most of us are in the United States or North America, at least. Um, if I can help in any way, uh, I want to serve people. That's what God put me on this wet rock to do is to help folks. So, you know, that's why I created the website. I've done everything I can to make it as easy for people to get the help that they need. And I just really want to see people get better. There's no reason to continue to suffer with this illness. We know how to fix it. But unfortunately, physicians are a rather arrogant bunch. And they don't realize that you can do more than write a prescription for some type of pain medicine for this. You can get to the root cause and fix it and fix all the other problems. Well, I want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast today and sharing your time with us. We all really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to send out that, that love from all of us um, <laughs> because I know it is appreciated. Um, so thank you so much. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you for the opportunity, Lynn. 